All right, why don't you grab your Bible and grab yourself a beverage, just uh, sit and enjoy this together. As a matter of fact, I've got myself a cup of muddy water. Since we're live-ish, uh, I'm gonna start because I don't like to drink mud straight. I, uh, I am blessed to have a beautiful Brita filter. What does this have to do with what we're gonna look at today? You'll have to wait till the end. You can't check out early. All right, I've got my Brita almost and muddy water. Now, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. But let's just think about the responses that we've been seeing to the COVID pandemic, even this week. It's interesting. I think there are at least three camps, probably more. You got the camp that says this is no big deal, right? No big deal at all. I mean, they're probably underestimating what's going on. Anyone who says this is going to be said and done within a couple of weeks, I don't know if I'm there. And there, then you have the, the world's going to end crowd. That's definitely in play. And I think the more that we read, the more we're in danger of falling into the trap of wondering, is it over? Is humanity over? Is my life over? Well, some may be overplaying. We actually don't know what's going on. And then I think you have like the middle crowd, which is probably most of us. I can't keep up. This is the crowd, and I'm definitely there where I turn, turn my apps on in the morning to figure out what's going on, and so much has changed so rapidly. What do we do? Between all three camps, everyone would agree, we are living in uncertain times. This is just like not ordinary, regular life. This is extraordinary in, the, in that it's gone around the world, and there seem to be more questions than answers and more confusion than certainty. And uh, so I want to speak as we continue our series and say these three words. What do we do in uncertain times? We remember we will rise. We will rise. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of the Christian faith. And I want this to be your story and my story as we navigate through this together. We will rise. The beauty of looking at the Bible is it's not just an ancient book. It actually, though, has thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of years of real life encounter between God and people. And so what we ought to do when we don't know what to do or where the world is heading is to look at the patterns. And you know what you find in the Bible? You find that life is hard. There are floods. There are droughts. There are pandemics. There are earthquakes. There are disasters. And there are wars that seem to collide civilization in a, in a way and in a pattern that no one else would want. Life is chaotic, and it's all over the Bible, by the way. And in the Bible, we see the thread that God is not far off, but at the right time, people see and gain perspective about what God did while they weren't watching or not recognizing it. And so I think that what we ought to do is to gain certainty in these uncertain times, is to focus our gaze on God. And that's what we want to do by looking at 1 Corinthians 15 in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, to frame it, some of you may have missed last week. Last week, we started the series with a conversation of Jesus encountering Lazarus, who had died, in John 11. And remember uh, what Jesus said? Let me just read the quote. Jesus said in John 11, uh, verse 25, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus' words to Martha, who he spoke to, 
Do you believe this? Uh, last week, we reminded ourselves that Jesus is the resurrection. It's not like he just has the power to raise people, but he is in himself resurrection. And Jesus is the life. It's not like he just has a life and can dole out life to those who call on him. He is the essence of life itself. Jesus is the creator. He's there at the beginning when everything in our universe is created. Jesus is there at the center of it. So if there's anyone who knows and is certain and is solid in these very shifting times, it is Jesus himself. And so he can say with confidence, I am the one who has life after life, and I am the one who is life itself. And by the, by the way, this is biblical hope. It's not like our circumstances are, are always gonna go the way we want. As a matter of fact, that's not true. Often in the Bible, you see people pleading for God to change their circumstances. Sometimes he does it quickly, other times he doesn't. But biblical hope is centered on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, and if he promises that life with him will last forever, guess what? It will last forever. And so this is our hope. Now, what do we do in, uh, in terms of, in light of the resurrection, what do we do about the here and now? What do we do about the headlines every day? Paul is in a conversation, and we'll look now at 1 Corinthians 15. He's in a conversation with a church. He lived in Corinth for a couple of years, and then he traveled to other places to plant other churches and help other churches. But he always kept in touch with these group of people. And here's the beauty of these letters. What you get from them is that it took time for people to figure out what following Jesus meant, like in the real world. If you ever felt like, well, I, I love Jesus, but I'm still struggling with what that means for work and relationships and my future and what I do with my life and my doubts and my fears, you're not the only one. So the letters are most, mostly back and forth questions. And by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 15, he has answered a bunch of specific questions that these group, this group of people had about following Jesus in their city. And then he comes to kind of a climax because there are some questions that we don't even have the answer to. What do we do with those? Like, where is this crisis going? 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm gonna start reading in verse, uh, in verse one. It says, now brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. He, he says, hey, you've asked a lot of questions. I've given you the answers. Oh, by the way, this is what we need to ground ourselves in. And I love it. What is the good news of Jesus? Well, the good news in one sense encompasses all that God has done from beginning to end but it's actually quite specific. He says, I'm gonna recap, and I love it. He could say it in just a few lines. This is the message that you've believed in. This is the certainty that you ought to have, even though your circumstances are very uncertain. Oh, by the way, when, when they're getting this letter, they're in a shaky time. You gotta remember, in the early Jesus movement, there were no buildings, right? They had no Instagram, they had no uh, live online gatherings. They had no buildings, they had very little structure. What they had was Jesus, they had the Old Testament, and then these writings, the Gospels were just being written in real time. So there were so many things they did not know. He says, hold on to what you know. And here's the Gospel, verse three. For what I received I passed on to you as of 
first importance, and here it is, that Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then notice verse five, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is a metaphor uh, that they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. He's talking about, and I think it's Acts 9 that gives the story of how Paul is going on a road persecuting Christians, and Jesus like physically appears to him. He's knocked off of his horse. He's blinded. He doesn't know what to do. And over three days, he begins to understand the good news for himself. Jesus is alive. Now, you might be asking, okay, what's the, uh, this part I get? Jesus died and rose again to pay for our sins. But what's the, what's with the emphasis on resurrection? If you look at it, he spends most of the time, Jesus was sinless, he's the son of God, Jesus lived the perfect life, Jesus died the perfect death, and because of his perfect sacrifice, you and I can have our, our sin removed, our guilt covered, our shame moved away, we could be in the right with God. But most of it he spends on what happened after the cross. He says Jesus rose, Jesus appeared, he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to 500. What's with the emphasis on Jesus' resurrection and what does that mean for us? It means that we have a faith that's grounded. It's not subjective, it's not, well, Jesus died and we hope he does something in the afterlife. No, now he's writing in particular to the people in Corinth because people wondered especially in the early days pre-technology, like they still wonder today, what happens when we die? I mean, what happens really? Where does life end really? And he affirms Jesus not only paid our sin debt in full, but he's alive, he's alive right now. Jesus is the center of the good news. He's the center of the story. And so death is a mystery, as a matter of fact, in their day. Most of the people in Corinth, they took the view uh, that came to them from the Greeks. And the Greeks believed that when the body dies, the body is done. They believed in what's called the immortality or the everlasting life of the soul. So when the body dies, it is over. The soul lives on, but there is no physical resurrection when your body's gone. I mean, hey man, it's gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. And all the senses that we have, you know, taste, touch, and everything, all those natural things, when the body is over, that is over. But the soul is alive, this spiritual part of who you are, it's gone from the body, over and out. What happens to it? In one sense, we don't know. Now, the Jews, they had a different understanding altogether. The Jews, they were divided. Remember, we saw last week, the Sadducees believed that the soulish part of you lived on, but the body, there's no physical resurrection. The Pharisees said, uh, no, no, no. The Bible teaches that the body will be raised to life, but it'll be the same body. And then you have Jesus. What Jesus models, and this is why Paul brings them back to this, what Jesus models in his own experience is what those who follow him are going to experience. Jesus, in one sense, the Bible calls him the firstborn among 
Many brothers and sisters, what happened to Jesus is the paradigm of what's going to happen to you and what's going to happen to me one day. So whereas the Greeks saw no physical resurrection, the Jews, they were unsure. Some said yes, some said no, but they thought it was like the same person. Jesus says, no, actually, you are going to be resurrected in body, but that body will be different. It will be a new body. And so if you read the Gospels, Jesus uh, doesn't just appear as a ghost. He's a real man. Yet at one time when his followers are in a room, he comes through the wall. Okay, that's pretty amazing. You know, at the end, we get in Acts when Jesus commissions his disciples and then Jesus ascends into heaven. He, Jesus is still physical. He's, he's resurrected in his body, but he's not here right now. So he's... He's resurrected, but he's not the same. And so here, here's why I think Paul gives us this, this template, is because if we're not careful, those in Corinth, they were following the mindset of the culture around them. And right now, just, let's bring it back to this COVID crisis. Uh, there are so many in fear, so many uh, just in doubt, so many who are discouraged. And if we're not careful, Based on what they believe, they have a, a current set of feelings and certain thoughts. If we're not careful, though, as the people of God, we can slip into the patterns of those who have no hope in Jesus. So we remind ourselves this morning of resurrection, but because Jesus is alive, I know that 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 at the end of this life, yes, this body will die. Jesus really died. But that's not the end of the story. And so this is the beautiful thing that we're going to see here this morning. Let's just keep reading, though, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, because he goes on to say, the resurrection is important, and here's why. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found out to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So obviously he's saying again and again and again, this resurrection thing really matters. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile. And guess what? You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are are most to be pitied. You see, what he's saying here is that there's something unique that has happened in Jesus. If we're not careful, we're going to slip into the mindset of the culture around us that often is like, eat, sleep, drink, for tomorrow we all may die. As a matter of fact, he's going to quote that in just a minute. What does Jesus teach that's the counter to what our culture is saying about life now and life in the future? If you read all of 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have the time to go verse by verse. The first thing we see clearly is you are a body. You don't just have a body. The body isn't like just like a, a bonus package or something that just easily shifts out. You are a body. God made us physical. The, the Bible says go back to Genesis in the creation of Adam and Eve. God formed the body, formed Adam, 
formed Eve and then breathed his life into physical body. You are a body, which means it implies that your body matters. God cares not just about the non-material part of you, soul and spirit, but he cares about every part of you and what happens to your body matters to Jesus. And here's the beauty. God has a plan for our body that goes even beyond this life. So you are a body. But here's what we also see in 1 Corinthians 15 in the teaching of Jesus. You are more than a body. So, so Jesus dies, right? But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is still somewhere. And the pattern is same for you and I. We're created and made in the image of likeness of God. Uh, the Bible uses terms soul and spirit. And the more you look at those terms, the more you see how related they are. It's trying to put human language to something that's kind of hard to understand. There is a non-material, real part of you. And so the, the hope of the Jesus message, the hope of our faith, is that God has made us body, but we are not just body. Uh, we are soul, we are spirit. So because both of those things are true, what Paul harps on and what we need to remember is that physical death for us is not the end. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to sound morbid, uh, especially on a Sunday morning, but the reality of it is we know that people have died recently outside the U.S. and inside the U.S., not far from here in, in Seattle, even here in, in Oregon. Physical death is real, and now we don't always think about it. As a matter of fact, we try as best as we can to avoid it, mask it, and deny it, but physical death is real. Physical death, though, for the follower of Jesus is not the end of the story. What's the end of the story? Physical resurrection. Jesus physically raised to life. The pattern, you and I, now for us, that physical resurrection for Jesus, it happened on the moment. On the third day, uh, the Spirit of God came in and somehow in the mystery within the tomb, Jesus is raised to life and he appeared and they touched him and they saw him and he ate and he's real. For us, resurrection is going to come, if you read 1 Corinthians 15 in full, at the end. Jesus promises to return. The world is headed somewhere. You think that, that, that this is the only crisis, by the way, for thousands and thousands of years. There have been cycles of crisis and worry and wonder and life and death. This is one, it's real, but it's one of many. But the world is going somewhere. It's going towards God's future. And Jesus said, I will return. And, and the Bible writers tell us, when we see him, we will be like him. We will have a resurrection, real physical body. Now, what we see in Jesus is, yes, we are raised to life, but that, that physical body is not exactly like this body. Uh, Jesus said, it, there's not going to be marriage. We're not going to be given over and have wedding ceremonies. We're going to be the same in that body and soul, body and spirit united but in a different way. Uh, the Bible says that we're like the angels, not in that we float around with wings and harps and stuff like that, but we're eternal. We live forever. We're there in the presence of God. Why am I um, sharing this in detail? It's because I think it's in moments like this. We need to remember biblical hope, real hope, is that death is not the end. Jesus cares for our body, and even though this body will perish, if not now, sometime in the future. That is not the end. Now, in the in-between is where we get heaven. 
Heaven is the place where those of us who die before the return of Jesus go. Heaven is God's space. And so body and soul are, are pulled apart, so to speak. The body goes into the ground and our soul, our spirit, we're in the presence of, of Jesus. And in the resurrection at the end of time when Jesus returns, it's all united. Now, we, we have it in, in graphic detail in 1 Corinthians 15, but there is a bit of a mystery to this. And so they had real questions about like, what's our physical body gonna be like? And tell us more, tell us more. We see as, oh, as though we're looking through a glass dimly. We get enough detail to trust Jesus, but we don't have all the details. Now this is resurrection. You are a body, you're more than a body. Physical death is not the end of the story. We will be physically raised to life. Wow, this is good news. I'm secure in an uncertain time. I'm secure, I'm safe because I belong to Jesus. Now, a little caveat on this. If you keep reading, you realize that does not mean everything goes well for Jesus followers all the time. As a matter of fact, just look down at verse 31. What does Paul say in light of all this resurrection? He says, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm facing death. Wait a minute. I thought we were going to be raised to life. Verse 32. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? He had a really rough time. They tried to kill him in Ephesus because he was preaching the gospel. He says, if the dead are not raised, quote, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The culture of their day said what you did in the body doesn't matter. Why? Immortality or everlasting life of the soul, the immaterial. So what you do here, you get here, and who cares about here? Because it all stays here. That is so much of our cultural thinking today, and that's why so many people are being bombarded and overwhelmed by fear. If we only have this life to live for, of course I'm going to be afraid. If there's nothing beyond this physical life, then of course I worry and wonder and doubt and make all sorts of choices based out of fear. Friend, and I'm not saying we don't experience fear. As a matter of fact, he said he fought wild beasts in Ephesus. He had a rough time. Paul was almost killed on multiple occasions following Jesus and living out the good news. So life isn't easy for the believer now. But like Paul said, if I only had this life to put my hope in, man, I'd be a miserable person. Paul, no matter what he was going through, and this is the model for you and, and, and me, no matter what we're going through, we're supposed to process it through death and resurrection. So, okay, we know that we're going to live forever, but that's all like future. What do I do now? How can I walk this out week to week with, you know, staying safe at home and avoiding people and wondering about uh, my next paycheck and my job and the future of this country. How do I navigate the real pressures of life? Here's the beauty. Just keep reading. We'll go to the end, the final verse of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do we live in light of this pandemic? We remember we will rise. Let nothing move you. We don't have to panic. 
Jesus died and rose again, and that guarantees if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sin and said, Jesus, I'm not worthy, and you said, Jesus, I trust that what you did, you did for me, you have eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to get sick. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be affected by all that's going on around us, but we don't have to be moved by it. As a matter of fact, Paul says quite the opposite. And remember, he's writing to a group of people who are the minority in Corinth and are being persecuted in increasing measure. Don't let anything move you. Stand firm. We will rise. And uh, let me just ask you now, what's trying to move you? What's trying to steal your joy? What's trying to push you from faith in Jesus over to fear? Don't let it move you. It's okay to have these feelings. We all have these emotions. We're not just body. We are thought and we're will. We're complex beings that God has created in his image. And so it's okay to have moments of panic, panic moments. It's okay to wonder and think and plan. All of those things are beautiful. But if they pull our eyes off of Jesus, then Paul says we're not standing firm. Instead of being shaken, we ought to live grounded because we're not living just for this life. Our life with God lasts forever. There's nothing wrong with asking these questions, but remember that we are the people of the resurrection. We're resurrection people. We're living in God's resurrection power. We have the Holy Spirit and our future is secure it. Let nothing move you. But that's like kind of defense, right? Stand, stand strong, stand firm. But then he says, we can actually act in faith. Notice what he said. He says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because your work, your labor is not in vain. Why can we give ourselves fully to God's work? Why? We will rise. Why should we not fear? We will rise. Why should we go full on 100% in the season? not shrink back in our faith, but rather push forward and choose to trust God even in hard times is because we know, we know our future, we're going to rise. Always give yourself fully. We're not hoarders. We're gonna live generous through this. And so many of you are already doing it. You're already choosing to say, I am not gonna live with a scarcity mentality. I'm not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna wonder if God's gonna care for my needs. I'm gonna be on the lookout. I'm gonna love God by loving my neighbor as, my, as myself. And that's Jesus, what Jesus said is the greatest commandments. Love God, stand firm in him, and then love neighbor. Now this, this looks a little different right now. So always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord means not passing the virus. It means resisting the temptation to, especially if you're younger and you're feeling well and you know, like this is not gonna affect me. Living out our faith says, you know what? I'm gonna honor, I'm gonna stay at home. I'm gonna keep a distance for the good of the elderly, for the good of, for the, of those who have a compromised immune system, for the good of those who might be much more vulnerable. Uh, to always give myself fully to the work of the Lord means I'm not going to shrink back from my connection. Thanks for joining on this online experience together. Thank you for keeping up with your community, your friends, those who love Jesus. Thanks for continuing to live out your faith by getting your thoughts grounded in Scripture, praying for one another. We're not going to shrink back. We're gonna to choose to give ourselves fully and we're gonna do everything we can as a church to keep our body 
together even though we're looking at screens because the work of Jesus doesn't end here. As a matter of fact, I can't give you all the details right now. I'm dying to, but I, I, I literally can't. We have the biggest Easter plans, like the biggest Easter plans ever uh, coming up just a few weeks from now because we're going to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord even though we will not be in the same building but we have an opportunity to take what's happening on Easter and without exaggeration, get it all over the world via media. I'm gonna leave it at that. We're, we're going full on. We're looking for opportunities in Hillsborough, Beaverton, the metro area to love people tangibly. We're gonna meet needs. We're, we're not gonna shrink back. We're not gonna cower in fear. We're gonna give ourselves fully. And let me just ask you, what, what's holding you back? Is there something holding you back from living fully for the Lord and living generously to others, don't you fear. Your work in the Lord will never be in vain. God knows and God sees and God is with us. And by the way, God knows the numbers of our days. So I say, I'm not guaranteed two weeks from now. I'm not guaranteed Easter, neither are you. This week, even today, I wanna give myself fully to the work of Jesus and trust him with tomorrow, which is why we started our little teaching time with our, our little water. What I did was I, I poured muddy water in, and it's just a simple, cheesy, but helpful illustration of our mindset right now. What I'm inviting you to do, and I think what Scripture's inviting us to do, is to filter every thought. Uh, there are all sorts of things that come into my mind, all sorts of things that come into my soul. But what I want to do is I'm going to learn, and we need to learn to filter them in light of resurrection. You see, what went in was cloudy, and what's come out is quite clear. And that filter took out the impurities. And I can't help what I'm being bombarded with. Neither can you. We can't help the thoughts that are racing and the headlines that are being blasted and we're being bombarded with but I can set the tone for my thought life today by filtering everything through Jesus's real death and his real resurrection. And because he's alive, like Jesus said, those who live and believe in me will never die. Yes, the body will go, but I will be reunited at the end, soul and body with Jesus forever. So in one sense, no matter what happens in this life, we cannot lose because we will be with Jesus Christ. Do we believe this? If we do, my friends, let's learn to filter everything, every thought, every fear, every anxiety, through the love, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, one of the beautiful things that we can do is quite tangible. We can take uh, the Lord's Supper. We could take the bread and the cup together. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna to gather together and we're gonna remember the very real, physical, tangible Jesus represented in body and in cup. Lord, we thank you that our fear is real, but you are more real than our fear. We thank you that our faith is grounded in your real resurrection, Lord Jesus. And so now, in one sense, Holy Spirit of God, be the filter in my mind so that I can take every thought and in one sense, take it captive, filter it, so that the things that are from this culture that have not of you will not dominate the way I think, what I believe, and how I live. Lord, instead, release us to be the people of God that follow you and trust you no matter what we see 
And because of you, live generous one to another, knowing that you are the God who provides for all of our needs. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.